today's scripture reading is from John 20, 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they, had see, when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. Put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. So the author of the book of Acts reports the giving of the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way. Jesus' disciples have just seen him ascend into the sky and then a rushing wind and tongues of fire fly through the air and through the sky and around all the disciples and they enter through their heads and they start speaking in a foreign language and proclaiming the good news of God's reconciling love to everyone. And people around are amazed, and they believe, and thousands and thousands are added to their number. That is what the church calls Pentecost, which in the church calendar isn't for another like month or so. And it's celebrated with all kinds of enthusiasm. It's the birth of the church, and it's very exciting, I guess. The Spirit of God, of the living Christ, is given to human, and that Spirit transforms us and emboldens us to sing hallelujahs and praise and spread the good news of God to every corner of the world. So a lot of churches, they really try and go all out for this very exciting thing. They have these really upbeat kind of services for Pentecost. They hang like red banners everywhere all over the church and they have like parades and clowns and dog acts and, okay, well maybe not dog acts, but I'm, I, I'm sure there's some clowns. I would not be surprised. But you get the idea. Big, special, happy, you know, may I even say glorious. Celebrations of the truly unbelievable second coming of God into the world. 
which of course is what Pentecost is. After Jesus has been executed, raised from the dead, and appeared to the disciples and then ascended into heaven, he sends the Spirit of God to live in and among his followers. And this second coming of God into the world reveals to Jesus' followers that Jesus the man is also, in fact, Jesus the Christ, God. The presence of the Spirit of Christ living in and among Jesus' followers places within and among them a passion to proclaim the message of love and reconciliation to all the world in the way that Jesus did. This act, which we should celebrate on that day of Pentecost, is nothing less than the birthday of the church. Because it is only when Jesus' followers come out of hiding and begin sharing God's good news with others beyond their own group, only when through the power of the Holy Spirit they start living out Jesus' new commandment to love one another as I have loved you, only then do they become the church. The church is given for the world all of which is worthy of celebration in the most grand way possible, truly. But you know, like at House of Mercy, we've never really managed to, you know, like celebrate Pentecost with the expected, I don't know, fervor, I guess you could say. We've never really even done the red banner thing. And I don't even know where to get those red banners if we did want to do it. I mean, is there a red banner store? Is there a Pentecost place? If you get five red banners, do you get 10% off the clowns? I don't know. I haven't been there. We have not done this before. Um, but, you know, maybe it's okay that we haven't, you know, had some big over-the-top charismatic ballyhoo. Because, you know... Um, we're really not that much of a charismatic church. I mean, look at you, you're all just sitting there. <laughs> so maybe this comes as a surprise to some people, but maybe a simple acknowledgement of the Pentecost is more our style, a nod, perhaps, of assent. Um, but I don't know, a little emotion at Pentecost might be nice. We have like a month to work up to it. We could practice. I suppose um, in the spirit of that day, I could try to deliver my ironic and cynical witticisms in a more heartfelt manner. I could try. Maybe we could all use a little bit more of a praising attitude. I could give, you know, give it a try. Hallelujah to the Lord. Woohoo to Jesus. Holy Spirit Day. Feel free to join me. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I don't need to. Super hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe we're just, that's not us. Maybe we're just not a charismatic church. You know, um, and maybe so you're not a charismatic kind of people. I know some of us at some times have experienced our faith in a more effusive manner. And I know some of us still do when people aren't looking, sneak into the back pew of a Pentecostal church from time to time to maybe get something that you can't necessarily get at House of Mercy, which of course is all great. You know, you can't always get everything you need in one place. After all, House of Mercy is just a church, not the church. 
But it does seem to me that a lot of folks who find their way here and stick around are maybe looking for a different way of encountering God. Which again, I don't have to give permission to anyone, is, but I will say it's okay to not want the ballyhoo. Um, that is sort of where I kind of been in recent years. So like, what does this mean? Does this mean that you can't have a good Pentecost if you're not a good Pentecostal? Does the church just say, well, you know, Pentecost isn't really our forte. Let's just stick with focusing on that Good Friday thing. That's more our, you know, uh, place for the big to-dos. Maybe Kierkegaard's birthday or something. <laughs> well, you know, thankfully there is an alternative to Luke's version of Pentecost as described in the second chapter of Acts. And it's right here in the 20th chapter of John that was read tonight. There's two Pentecosts, this one we find here tonight and the one in Acts. And the contrast of these two Pentecost options really are quite remarkable. Luke's version, like we've been talking about, is big and violent and powerful and miraculous. Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit made them able. Now John's Pentecost, what happens is more low-key, you could say. First of all, the disciples are all hiding, hiding in this house with all the doors locked because they thought the religious leaders were going to come after them and kill them for being followers of Jesus. Or even worse, they thought the Romans might come after them and execute them because it was a crime to tamper with a grave in the Roman Empire. It was punishable by death, and there was some speculation that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body to make it look like he'd risen. So in the midst of the locked-up hideout, Jesus appears. What it says is Jesus stood among them. Jesus is right there with them, next to them. And they are scared when they realize that Jesus has shown up, but he comforts them. He says, peace. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds. And he shows them that he is not a ghost or a spirit, but Jesus, the man who they followed, who was their teacher, and who they abandoned, and who was executed, and who is now alive, who is once again with them, next to them, and speaking to them, not words of judgment, but of comfort and of peace. Again, he says, peace be with you. And then he entrusts them with his mission, makes them part of God's unfolding revelation to the world. He includes them saying, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we know from Jesus' words earlier in John's Gospel that God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it, to love it. And in this way, Jesus now sends them. And then, and this is John's Pentecost moment here, he breathes on them. 
and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. This is not violent tongues of fire shooting down from heaven and flying around the room like some kind of tornado of fire. This is breath. Who breathes on you? Think of the people who even could get close enough to breathe on you. How close do you have to be to someone to feel their breath on you? How well do you have to know someone to have them breathe on you and to have it not irritate you or concern you or creep you out or gross you out? Isn't that how people get sick? Isn't that the way germs are transmitted from one person to another? Isn't this the way disease is spread? This breath is an infection. This Pentecost is an infection. And this breath is also very intimate. It's holding someone you love and feeling their breath on your neck. It's so intimate and physical. It's a connection, almost a touch. Breath which comes out of the mouth of one living creature and can reach another living creature invisibly without removing the spatial distance between them. It is in this way that God reveals God's self in John's Gospel. God's Spirit comes not down from heaven, but from within the same room, right next to you, not in a loud and triumphant way, but as the sound and the feel of a breath. It is God who comes to us, God who gives God's self to us as we inhale. We are infected with the love of God and with the ability to bring that love to others. Because Jesus gives us his spirit for our own reassurance or comfort. No, Jesus gives us his spirit for others. In both Luke's and John's Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given not to individuals in isolation, but given to communities of believers gathered together. So the Spirit, as Jesus promises earlier, dwells in them and among them so that they might be able together to love the world and to love one another as they have been loved. This is not a distant God raining fire from above, but God who comes to us, God who comes so close that we breathe God in. This seems to me like very good news. Can I get an amen?